Gary, how are you, man? Good, good. How's uh, how's beekeeping? It's been good. This has actually been a pretty good season. Um, I have two hive, two hives coming in from the winter uh, that made it through. So uh, strong hives, and right now, so we have a good nectar flow, um, and I'm probably. If, if all goes well and according to plan, I'm probably looking at hopefully close to about 200 pounds of honey. What? That I'll be yeah, harvesting. Gary. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to say that publicly because uh, people yeah. will be like, you've got too much honey on your hands, Gary. Well, I'll, I'll probably consume about 90% of it, so... <laughs> You're listening to Won't You Be My Elder, an in-house podcast of Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. I'm John Ross. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. Our goal in this series is to help our fellow Crawford Avenue church members get to know the elders of the church a little better. In many of the conversations that you'll have with an elder, our goal is to check on you and to care for you through counsel, teaching, and prayer. We're grateful that you also want to get to know more about us, and we hope that in making this long-form interview series available, you'll come away with a sense of knowing the elders of the church a little better. My next guest is Gary Atwell. He's one of our lay elders. He has a Master's of Divinity in Biblical Counseling, and he works as a contractor at Fort Gordon. Gary is married to Rachel, and they've been married for eight years. They have three children, Carter, who's four, Haddon, who is two, and Merritt, who is eight months. In this episode, you'll learn how Gary came to know the Lord, how he and Rachel met, and how the Lord drew him deeper into the Word and into his church. We have a discussion about the relationship between sin and isolation, and towards the end, we'll talk about some of Gary's favorite things. So stick around and learn more about Gary here on Won't You Be My Elder. So Gary, you and Rachel have been in Augusta for how long now? So we moved here December of 2013. Okay. And what brought you to Augusta? A job. Okay. So I was actually transitioning out of the Marine Corps and had, um, in November of that same year, had got a job at a manufacturing facility for a medical supply company. Okay. Um, And so that's what brought us here. And actually, we had been through Augusta and toured just different places, trying to find, you know, where we want to live, what mm-hmm. that looked like. And we actually had visited Berea, well, before we knew anything about Berea. Yeah. So there were some friends of ours, Thomas and Lauren Black. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, you probably remember them. Yeah. But y'all, I think we're doing the medical the medical missions. Yeah. So it was the medical clinic. Yeah. yeah. And um, we had, we'd stopped by to see them because they were working um, some of the tables. But that was our, technically, I guess, our first visit to Berea. But then once we... Moved down here. We had been looking at churches prior to moving down here, and Bria was one that had kind of come up on our search that we were interested in looking at. It was the first one we tried, and it was that first Sunday we were in Augusta. And, I mean, we just immediately fell in love with the church, the worship, the preaching, and, you know, this is where the Lord led us. Yeah, man. That's great. Was there anything in particular other than having friendships there or friends that went there originally? What were some of the things that drew you to the church? Yeah, so uh, our first day, we actually, so like I said, we had some friends that were already at Berea, and we purposely went, so that was when Berea was doing the two services, like an early morning and later yep. morning. And um, we purposely went to the one they were not at because we kind of wanted to see what the hospitality was going to uh, be like. So, <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, so clever. Um, and it was very welcoming, Good. very um, hospitable, just very kind, gracious people. And I think one of the first people we met was Ron and Judy Cox. Yep. Just a sweet and loving couple. And we're just very thankful for the love they poured into us when we, when we first came to Berea. Um, so, yeah, there was, uh, there was that. Um, the teaching and, and, again, like the, the preaching, like centered on God's word, mm-hmm. like just staying rooted in God's word. Uh, that was something that was like really important to us, and and then again, uh, the worship, just how the the music was centered around the gospel message. You know, just our condition before a holy and just God, and our need for Christ, and then the the hope that we have in Christ. Mm. So all that was just something that uh, we really appreciated and really drew us to Berea, and, and in a lot of ways, I would say kept us there. But just just also too how the the church at every means trying to go by the model that's laid out in scripture of how a church um, should be. That's great, man. Well, we're glad that you all are here and glad that you've been here for such a long time. Um, It sounds like when you arrived at Berea that you already had a lot of healthy criteria in mind about what you wanted to look for in the church, which to me speaks of spiritual maturity. So then I think, well, what was your early church experience mm-hmm. like. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Nashville, Georgia. Right. <laughs> Not Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, tell me about, yeah, but what was life like? What were your mm-hmm. parents like? And yeah. uh, what was your church experience growing up? I like how you pause between Nashville and Georgia because that's usually <laughs> that's usually how I introduce it as well because I just want to see how people yeah. respond. <laughs> how excited they get right. and then how let down they can become. Nothing against Nashville, Georgia. It's a great small town if you're... But it isn't Nashville, Tennessee. It's not. Yes. It's not. So, yeah, uh, growing up. So, I grew up, um, so yeah, outside of Nashville, Georgia, in Berrien County, which is basically in the southern part of the state of Georgia, and grew up on a farm that my family owns. It's about 500 acres. And growing up, we were, I was exposed to church, um, scriptures, the gospel at a pretty early age. Uh, we were going to a very small um, country Baptist church. Okay. It was probably like five to 10 minutes from where I was growing up. And I don't think I really understood like some of the reasons um, why, but we had stopped going to the church and there was just different other churches we were trying out. Still kind of those small country Baptist churches, but they, I mean, growing up though, like for me, it, I mean, my parents were always good about teaching us and, and directing us to the church, but also to like what the Bible would teach on certain things. Um, but I just always grew up just having like a, a desire to want to know and um, just kind of understand the Bible a little bit more and um, just listen to what, to what people would have to say about, about God. Cause there was something about all of it that just seemed very important. And, and then there became a, like a season where, where we weren't going to church mm-hmm. And and that lasted for honestly I can't remember how long, but I know it was a pretty it seemed like a pretty long season. And I do remember like one one day, like like I was like, I really hope that we get back into a church. Hmm. And and God was gracious and faithful and we went to a church in um Nashville, Georgia, and immediately got plugged in. Uh, my parents they had become members there. And I was, you know, still you know, going through, listening to uh, the sermons, going to the the youth Sunday school hour time, and again, just learning more about Scripture. And I remember one Sunday morning, there was uh, our youth pastor, 
His name was Scott Cates. I don't remember a lot about him. But I remember his name. And I haven't really talked to the guy since. Mm. He uh, he got out there and he just started preaching a, a message of our need for Christ. Mm. Like who Jesus is, um, who we are before God, and um, the hope that Christ brings because of his, his death on the cross and the victory that he won over sin and death. And I remember like thinking in that moment, like, I need Christ. Mm. And, I, and I believe that's really when God opened my eyes to the gospel. From there, uh, went through process of you know learning more about what the gospel is and um, spent a couple of weeks uh, doing a uh, course with our pastor just kind of explaining that and then uh, I think it was sometime after that maybe two or three weeks after that was baptized and became part of the church and how old were you then uh, 16 16 okay yeah so um was it like sophomore in high school so very new to what it meant to be a Christian at that point and but you know by God's grace, he was continuing to teach me and build me up through his word and through the preaching of his word. And, and so I was very thankful for that church. There are a lot of good memories. I made a lot of good friends and connections there. And then I would say when I got to college, that was actually when I started learning more about what it meant to be a disciple. So I got plugged into um, different ministries on campus, still going to my home church on Sundays. But when I was in college, I did the BCM for a little bit, and then I also did the Wesley Foundation. Okay, yeah. Um, and it, it was really good. Like, it was really good to, because I had a lot of friends from my hometown that was at the college I was at. And some of them, it was kind of, some were in the BCM, some were in the Wesley Foundation. Uh, but we were all coming together, learning learning what it meant to live out our faith. Yeah. And so it, it was just really beneficial. And I was really thankful for um, those ministries. But, you know, there were still struggles that I, that I had in, in all that, you know, especially as a young Christian. Uh, pornography was a big struggle in my life um, at a very young age and then through high school, college, and um, just something like continuing to struggle with through that time. Yeah. And then after college, went into the Marine Corps. So yeah, went through my training in the Marine Corps, was in North Carolina. That's where, I, that's where my first duty station was at uh, Camp Lejeune. But then the first few months after my training had been completed and I was with the unit that I was going to be with, I got deployed. And was over in Afghanistan. This is in 2011 now. Okay. So this is August 2011. But through all that time, like, I was spending a lot of time in the Word and, like, reading just different resources. And actually, that's, I think, when I was being exposed to, like, Reformed theology. Okay. And started reading books by, like, David Platt and just other books on what it looks like to now put your faith into action, you know? Yeah. And I that was when I had a strong conviction about I'm not using my faith for— Mm. anything except for myself. Mm. <laughs> and so God really convicted me to change course and and start making preparations to where I could be more involved in the local church. Because I was going to a church in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, but I was kind of just in the crowd. Mm. You know, check the box of, you know, I go there Sunday mornings, I hang out with friends, and then that's it. That's the last time I do anything like in fellowship or with others, yeah. with other believers. So that's where I started looking into seminary and continued reading more just about like church 
church life in terms of like how the church to be structured, what the purpose of the church is. And so I got exposed to things like nine marks and, and I continue to just read more about uh, doctrines of grace. And towards the end of my time in the Marine Corps, and, and we can, we can, I'll, I'll certainly give the story of how Rachel and I met, but at some point when we were dating and before we got married, I had already made a commitment to go to seminary. And so had been looking at different seminaries, just kind of see what, what would be good. And there was a time that I thought I was going to stay in North Carolina. And so Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary out of Raleigh was kind of my main choice, primarily because I thought, well, if we're going to stay in North Carolina, it should yeah. be easier to go there. So I was looking into that and signed up for their MDiv program and became interested in biblical counseling and started attending classes in 2014. So a month after we had moved to Augusta, started attending online classes. And over the next seven years, six, seven years, yeah, <laughs> finally finished my degree. So. Well, hey, man, I mean, you did it while having a full-time job. It took me about that long, and I was just piecing part-time jobs yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. And it, it takes a while sometimes. And let me let me ask you just a few questions just sure. back yeah. on your on your life and on your testimony. Man, it sounds like when you came to faith in Christ, and you you tell me if I've got this right, that it just it all happened simply through the regular rhythms of church life. Yeah. Does that sound right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um I think so often people think about testimonies and making an impact in somebody's life. Uh, bringing people to salvation or even like evangelism. And a lot, a lot of times you look for those testimonies that sound really exciting or over the top or something very dramatic. But there, there's something to be said for sure about God's just regular uh, prescribed rhythms of church life mm-hmm. that impact a person. And I I was struck by you saying, I remember the guy's name, but I don't remember a whole lot else about him. Yeah. It makes me think of the mindset of preach Christ, die and be forgotten, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you don't remember a whole lot about that guy, yeah. but you remember a whole lot about being impacted by Christ and the sermon that he preached. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that a lot of the impact that he had on you, you might have experienced that internally, but maybe didn't even realize it until here's this guy that has been coming alongside that I know personally is now in the pulpit preaching a message about Christ. Mm-hmm. And because of that relationship that perhaps there was just a little bit more grease in the, in the gears to help it mm-hmm. get it going in your heart and say, yeah, like this is, this is the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting to think about too. Cause like, like I said, I, I want to say he was there at the church for maybe another year. And then I think he took a job somewhere else. But since then, you know, not having talked to him, and that was, what would that have been, 2003-ish? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know where he's at today, but, like, does he know that the impact that that message he preached had now in my life and where yeah. I've gone since then? And so it's like, it speaks to, like, we don't know the impact, you know, the message that we're presenting to somebody is going to have on them. You know, we just, we're obedient to the Word. We're obedient mm-hmm. to the call of Scripture. And we... 
we point others to Christ, you know, and we don't have to beat ourselves up if we did it well, right? We trust that the God is sovereign, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's good to know that the Lord is working, even if we don't know know that he's working. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, too, about, um, you said in college that, um, you know, you were going to church, you were going to some of the college uh, ministries, and even just the the struggle with pornography, which I think is so much more a struggle the further we get technologically, the the more advanced the temptation for pornography becomes mm-hmm. because it is so accessible today yeah. and so prolific and additionally so much more normalized in our society and culture to the point where you have to willingly find ways to escape being exposed to pornography mm-hmm. rather than seek it out, which I think in former generations you had to have the mindset of yeah. I'm going to seek out pornography but I think now we're in an age where it just, it finds you, mm-hmm. right? Wherever you're at, there's the constant avoiding and saying, I'm taking this path and this path to avoid uh, getting tempted, tempted by that. So all that being said, I imagine we have people listening who are currently struggling mm-hmm. with pornography. Uh, what are some things that happened in your life or people that came alongside you? What are some things that you did or others helped you to do to get over an addiction to pornography? Sure. Yeah. So I would say, I think understanding that it's certainly as scripture would describe it to it, it, it's one of those, it's a common sin. And, and as you pointed out, like it's, it's so easy to, to access. I mean, even in college it was, because you had access to internet, right? I mean, now that with phones, it's so much easier now. Um, One, there's actually a, a pastor, a counseling pastor at Warren, Eric, he, he describes it as like our com, our modern pandemic because mm. it's like it's in our homes yep. and it's infecting everything yep. and it affects everything in your life. Um, so in college, like, I guess to one step seeing that like, okay, it is a common struggle. Like I knew it was an issue and it was a problem, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't like something that I felt like I couldn't share with others. Mm-hmm. And so for like somebody that, um, I would say is struggling with pornography. I would say like the best thing you can do is talk to somebody. And that's part of the first step is talk to somebody about your struggle, get others involved in your life. Yeah. Cause shame will often just make you want to keep it in the dark. Right. Uh, Because you don't want somebody else to know But man, I, I think one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it begins with an admission mm-hmm. to being imperfect. Right. right. Yeah. And that's what I was going to, so the next thing I was going to say, yeah, I was like, you know, in First John, it tells us in verses 9 and 10 that, you know, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Mm-hmm. and that, But it also says he'll cleanse us of yeah. unrighteousness. Right. And so as we continue to press into the Lord and continue to go to him with our struggle, like he's going to sanctify us in that process. He's going to, um, he's going to cleanse us. Now it may not happen like, on your timeline. Yeah. But I, I would stand to believe that it, if you're actively committing yourself to the Lord, that again, he will, he will be with you and he will help you through that struggle. Yeah. But also in James, right? James tells us that we confess our sins to one another. Yep. And that's where healing takes place. And this is another, that's something else I learned from Eric who, this is kind of like his bread and butter when he's counseling at his churches. 
on a guy struggling with pornography. But it is tr- it's true. Like I think there's um, truth to what he's saying there. And so uh, helping or just being with other guys and like going to somebody that I, th- I felt like I could talk to about the struggle was, was certainly beneficial. The other thing that was very so again it was a, it was a struggle that can that happened in college happened when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, primarily because I wasn't under any accountability. I was going to say too. I know it's incredibly prevalent in the military. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so yeah, it's rampant, and there's there's a lot you can say on that. But um, but I too like kind of when I was talking before in my story on, you know, I was in a church, but just kind of like there, you know, that's so. It, this is it. Kind of draws to the point of being involved in the church, not just to be there for the sake of being there on Sunday morning, so that mm-hmm. you can feel good about going to the church, but no, being involved in the life of the church and submitting yourself to the accountability of others. Like that's what's so important. And so uh, when uh, Rachel and I had started dating, like I I told her like, Hey, pornography is something I struggled with. And we talked about it. And she always said like, just let me know if you have any issues with it. And I committed to uh, seeking the Lord and committed to, you know, refraining from, from viewing anything inappropriate and and it was all did did well with that. Well, then a few months after we were married, I relapsed. Yeah, and viewed something and felt very strong conviction about that and confessed it to Rachel. And and she was she was so gracious and like didn't deserve anything. She was like any grace that she was giving me. But one thing that really stood out in how she responded was um, just talking like she expressed like her sadness. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking about her response and then thinking about like my sin before God, like her reaction is just a small taste of mm. God's reaction towards our sin. And so that just, it, it broke me. Yeah. And so then she was very, very good to come alongside me and just would, you know, ask me just how I was doing. And we would just be one, you know, unit and how we would like handle this and, and work through it. And so uh, part of it was having her accountability and then having accountability at the church. Like we, we got more involved in a, a church that we were attending in North Carolina. And then it was just a few months of that. We were here at Berea. And so just having like someone that I could go to if I needed any help or was struggling with anything was just uh, very beneficial. But primarily it, it became a desire for God's word and desire for God's comfort because what it came down to was I wanted to, I desired God more than I did my own selfish gains. And that's what it mm. was. Something that was a temporary comfort or not being able to process my emotions properly. Yeah. Because another thing that got brought up early in our marriage was I didn't respond well to like circumstances. Mm. Like sometimes I responded angrily or just kind of abruptly. And part of what God, I believe, was teaching me in those moments was. Like I'm not expressing my emotions very well. Mm. And so Rachel and I learning to communicate better just helped me process like what I was feeling in different moments. And so instead of using something to cope yeah. for my emotions, like I'm able to process those better. And also just going to the Lord in times where I'm feeling like stressed and um, what can feel like tension rising and just asking for his peace and comfort in those situations instead of trying to find something to cope for that.
man, that's great. I and mean, that provides hope for people too. I think when you're in the midst of any any kind of sin that has entangled you, mm-hmm. it takes a while to get unbound from that entanglement. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in the midst of it, it kind of feels hopeless yeah. um, and you don't really know what to do. But I think some of the things that you've said are really helpful and speak to the power of community and to the challenges that unnaturally come from being isolated. I think just in general, we are a very isolated people or society Mm -hmm. or culture. Everything is tailored to the individual. Um, You can do just about anything you want on your own. At least it seems that way. If I want food, I don't have to go to the farmer or to the stand. I can order it right and have it brought Mm -hmm. to me. If I want to watch something, it's here on my screen in my little room. And I can do everything isolated, right, without Mm -hmm. human interaction. And I think part of what you've described is on your way out of that uh, sin addiction, you are also moving in further into community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in those college years, not really involved in a church body, probably on your own for the first time and feeling more isolated than ever before because you're not in your parents' house. Mm -hmm. You're out on your own. You're trying to figure out who you are and what you're doing with your life. And along comes the comfort of sin to be able to say, I'm here for you. Right. But all it's doing is trying to usurp God's design for you, which is to be in a church body, (laughs) to be with other people. And the further you got into community, even as far as it concerns marriage, right? Um, those relationships help ground you and show you how errant those ways are. And I think a lot of times when guys struggle with pornography, they're saying to themselves, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you're actually hurting a lot of people in the process, yeah. including the women that you're objectifying. Right. Probably the biggest lie that I kept telling myself was also like, I can fix this. Mm. On your own. On my own. Right. Isolated. Yeah. Right. And and that's and that's just that's where you, you're kinda like still holding the shovel, digging yourself deeper in the hole is telling yourself that. Yeah. And and it didn't you, you're not gonna feel the freedom from it or start on that path to the freedom from it until you start confessing it and involving more people. That's yeah. not to say you have to like bring every person you know into your life, right? <laughs> that's not what I mean. Yeah, you don't have to make an announcement on Facebook. Right. But bringing other people into your life to to talk about it and to help you work through that struggle, right? That's that's why God designed the church. Yeah. Part you know part of why God designed the church is for us as believers to come alongside one another to bear that burden. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing too is like Rachel had to bear that burden too. Yeah. Like she it wasn't like it was just me. This is Gary's problem. No, like she's bearing it. The weight of that confession to her and like how much it was impacting her. Yeah. That that was that was tough. That was yeah. tough for me to see. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to see her bear that kind of pain. But that's also part of the community of believers. That's what we do. When someone comes to another person and, and expresses the struggle of the sin they have in their life, you're taking some of that burden off and you're giving it to that other person. And that person is willingly taking it and yeah. laying it upon themselves to show that like you're not having to bear this by yourself. But ultimately you're both giving it to Christ because He He bears all of our sin mm. fully. Um, and that's why, like, in, in counseling, like, the the goal isn't to try to come up with a checklist of things we're going to do. All right, after the end of this session, you're going to be good. You're no longer, no yeah. longer going to sin anymore. No, we're going to show you what it means to walk with Christ and to go to Him in your struggle 
and what it means that he ultimately paid the price for your sin. Yeah. And so you can give him your burden. You can give him your worries and, and your fears and let his peace and comfort guide you. Yeah. Because that's, and that's the thing with guys. Like we, we naturally think that we, we can fix a problem. I don't know. I guess you can say that's how we're designed, but that's what we do. We yeah. try to fix a problem. And when we have a sin that we're struggling with, we say, yeah, you don't ask this. for directions. You don't right. ask for help <laughs> yeah. on something. Right. Um, you just go to YouTube. YouTube's different. YouTube isn't directions. Yeah. YouTube is is me. It's me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Um, but man, what a great picture of the gospel that, you know, there's this part of us that says, I don't need anybody else to bear my burdens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, yeah. you've already admitted, yes, I do need somebody else to bear my burdens because I can't bear it. Right. Right? I can't bear God's wrath that I deserve for the sins that I've committed. Yeah. And I think the same is true within the church body and the Christian community, right? It's not good for us to say, I shouldn't, somebody else shouldn't have to bear these burdens uh, for me. Uh, but the reality is the church is designed for that. It's mm-hmm. designed to help make the yoke easy and the burden light. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, um, you said uh, you somehow met Rachel while you were in the Marines. Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. So to back up, we had, when I was in college, a good friend of mine from, we were good friends, especially through high school. And then we were roommates in college. Okay. And we were going to Valdosta State University. And about our sophomore, junior year, he met a girl that was good friends with Rachel, that Rachel had went to school with, high school and all that, and was good friends with. Uh, Rachel was at uh, Georgia College and State up in Milledgeville. And, but this, this friend of hers was also attending Valdosta State. Okay. And her and my other friend were dating. And somewhere along uh, the relationship, we were, we were all hanging out, and she was like, oh, like you should meet Rachel. So we were told of each other. In college, okay, but we didn't actually meet at any time during college. Mainly because I was like, "Well, I'm about to go do this military thing, and I don't really have time for relationships." Yeah, it was, I mean, a, stu- I mean, it was a stupid thing to say. I uh, know, but it it makes sense, right? You don't want to like date somebody and right. then say, "Peace out, see yeah. you later." Well, I'll get to that in a second, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I go off and uh, I go through training, graduate college. So I do, so I did OCS, which is like kind of the boot camp for officers okay. um, between my junior and sophomore or junior and senior year in college. Uh, graduated, commissioned in 2000, well, graduated 2009, commissioned in January 2010, and then went to the six-month training course that um, officers have to go to go through in Quantico, Virginia. So I was there for six months uh, starting in, I think it was like May or, Ju- May or June okay. of 2010, and toward the middle of that, training those two friends of mine that were dating in college were they're getting married oh okay 
And they had planned for us to, like I was going to be a groomsman, Rachel was going to be a bridesmaid, and we were going to walk side by side down the aisle together. (laughs) Little mandated physical touch. Right, yeah. And um, unfortunately- It's good, it's clever. Yeah, right. That was was their plan. And that was going to be where we first- first met mm-hmm. well i had a training exercise the day they were getting married oh man so <laughs> so it didn't work out um so I, I didn't get to go and meet rachel and yeah because you weren't you weren't privy to their plans right which is funny because rachel she doesn't like setups <laughs> in that way yeah so so it's one thing we always look back on and say you know if we had met at those times we probably it probably wouldn't have worked out yeah you know so it's almost like we met exactly when we were supposed to meet that's kind of how we yeah, think absolutely. about it. So fast forward, I'm in Afghanistan. Okay. And I was, I had called that friend of mine and we were just talking and he said, Hey, you remember Rachel that we've been trying to set you up with? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, well, her brother is also a Marine and he's in Afghanistan right now. And I said, Oh, cool. And he's like, can you check up on him and, and see how he's doing? And of course I'm like, Okay, well, where's he at? You know, it's, it's a big country, and there's a lot yeah. going on right now. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, yeah, this is like probably end of summer, fall, 2011, and um, they're like, well, we don't know, we don't know where he's at. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but check on him. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had access to Facebook, so I had message. I actually sent a message to him. I sent him a message and sent him a friend request, and he denied my friend request. <laughs> but, uh, but I sent a message to Rachel. And, and then she responded and we just started talking. So while I was deployed, we were talking back and forth and you know, just sending messages and just chatting. I came back. I came back in March of 2012 and we were still chatting. And then I came home for leave, uh, spent time with family. And she was out of college, living in Macon and working at a retirement community in Macon. And when I was home, uh, I think it was the last couple of days I had on leave before I had the report back. I had messengers and asked like, Hey, you want to just meet up and grab lunch? And so she agreed and we set a time place to meet and, uh, we got together at Zaxby's. Okay. And so it was actually not far. I picked her up from work. So I drove all the way to her workplace, picked her up and we drove to Zaxby's and, you know, if you ask her, that's our first date. Right. I've heard um, this argument back and forth about whether it's a first date or not. Yeah. And and I understand the circumstances and the way I present it. It makes it look like it was a first date. I I believe that the date we had in May was our first date, but I'm not here to yeah. argue one way or the other. Even though she's not here to make her case, you're not here to argue one way or another. Right. <laughs> in my mind, it was just, I just want to meet this person. and This person. Yes. <laughs> so... That's uh, not going to go over well. But good. anyway, um, <laughs> no, it, and it was a really good like lunch. Like we talked about family and just, I mean, it was just very natural. Yeah. But I remember too, like I forgot this. So I picked her up at work and uh, she came out and she gave me a big hug. Oh. And it was like, this is, this is right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just, again, the whole thing just felt, it felt right. And so we, um, after that, I asked her, I was like, is it okay if I call you? And. And she said yes, and you know, so we could talk later. And then, yeah, went back to North Carolina, and we continued to stay in touch. <laughs> and I came down in May, and that's when we went to, like, it was kind of a whole day planned in Atlanta. Like, I picked her up in Macon, and we drove up to Atlanta, did the aquarium, and went to a Braves game. And 
on our way back or no, on our way there, I told her, I was like, Hey, like I may be deploying again, like in a couple mm. of, in a couple of months. And she was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> so like when you were talking about, um, when I was, you know, cause I had all that going on and I was just gonna be like, Hey, good to meet you. Peace out. <laughs> it was, it was almost like that several times. Yeah. Um, we're but all, you didn't know that in meeting her and being right. like, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So after that, we continued just uh, seeing each other on the weekends. Like I would drive down from North Carolina and, and then there were a couple of times she came up and we would just hang out and spend time together, getting to know each other well. And, um, that time when I went to, when we went to, um, to Atlanta, we came back and I like met her whole entire family. Yeah. But just saying something. Yeah. On what I consider our first date. <laughs> <laughs> days 2013 mm-hmm. um what would you say is the biggest change that you've seen um between the di- like when you first started coming up until today at Berea slash yeah. Crawford I mean obviously the merger but yeah we'll talk a little bit about that I mean not yeah everybody yeah. who's here sure experienced the merger what were like some of the things that you saw or learned yeah that or um well as I said we were um especially for me, like I was learning more about like, you know, reformed faith and and theology and, and Rachel, her dad is actually a pastor in Macon Mm -hmm. and um, they're at an independent Baptist church. And uh, they had actually gone through a transition and shift on their own going, leaning more towards reformed theology and uh, organizing the church to be elder led congregational Mm -hmm. rule, that, that type of model. And so, like, when we came to Berea, like, we saw that, that the church was, like, really at a healthy state and saw the way it was structured and saw the intentionality of the leadership and just how, like, you know, whenever there was any decisions that need to be made or and just how, like, you know, even the members members meetings were conducted, like, we just saw the care that was being put into everything that was being done for gospel ministry. So that was, like, really encouraging to see up front. And... Um, Rachel, so she got hired on to work uh, on staff. Yeah. As, so for anybody that doesn't know, Rachel was our administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, what was it? The church was probably 150 maybe in size, I think, when we came. Yeah, that sounds about right. And we had three, four elders. Yep. Because I think it was, yeah. So, so it was just interesting to see like, the church of that size, but at the same time, just to see it. So just faithful. And again, just in, um, living out the gospel and, uh, watching it just grow from that. Cause you know, we were there to, at the end of 2013 and we would see more and more members come in or be being added to the church, more people being brought on as elders. I think during our time we saw like Don Pizzotta mm-hmm. get brought on as an elder, yep. which he was also, uh, him and Vanessa, that was our first home group. Okay. When when we did the home group model, um, that was like our first small group that we got plugged into. And man, again, just just that community of believers, just being together and, and the fellowship, the uh, talk about God's word, you know, it was just like so refreshing. 
you know, Rachel was working on staff at the church. I had my job and just also seeing like, from, you know, she would come home and just like talk about, you know, th- how things were being done. Just again, all that care that was being put into, you know, the church and, and like, and how things were being organized in order to do it well. And again, that intentionality was just something that was just very, I don't know, just unique. Cause on the one side, I'm starting seminary and I'm learning, yeah, you know, how to study and read through scripture. And then, you know, I'm reading, you know, about how the, the church, um, is to how it's designed and what and the purpose is to serve. And then like, you kind of see that and you have your spouse that's also on the inside to some degree and, you know, kind of sharing that. And it's just, you know, again, it was just really encouraging. Um, so the church continued to grow and we went through uh, the process of looking at what we we're supposed to do beyond what we're our current model. Like mm-hmm. do we expand by going to a new building or, there was this opportunity that came up to merge with this church in downtown Augusta, which was mm-hmm. Crawford Avenue. Like just watching that that process over over the course of many months. Again, just that planning, the logistics, and all that. The conversations we were having with um, the leadership at Crawford Avenue at the time. It was just it was just amazing to see God's hand in that. Because like thinking back on it now, I was actually thinking about this today. Like when we moved everything out of Berea, mm-hmm. like that was just a lot of work and a lot of logistics that had to happen beforehand. But somehow like it just seemed to <laughs> fall into place. <laughs> and so there really was like this piece about what was happening mm. because the transition, like for the most part, I think seemed to have gone really well. Like we had our joint service. Was it the Easter Sunday in 2015? Yep. So this was a year and a half or so after Rachel and I had, been coming to Crawford. And so mm-hmm. to see like all that take place was just a, a again, another a sign of God's hand and just caring for his people and, and those that have been faithful to, to his word and to committed to gospel ministry. I just seeing him use the church in such a powerful way, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, you, you never know what the Lord is going to do with your church. Um, but it's, always remarkable to see the ways that the Lord honors faithfulness um, and trusting in him. I remember as you probably do the whole congregation uh, spending time in fasting and prayer, just leading up to that. We didn't know what was on the horizon. We just knew we've got to make some kind of move next because of the way that we're growing and we want to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us. Yeah. Um, and so when Crawford came up, we prayed and fasted through that as well. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's, I remember that season being just a great time of the entire church body at Berea just being faithfully mm-hmm. committed to seeking the Lord and saying what's going to happen next and help us to <laughs> help us to do that, whatever it is. Yeah. And to the see like the um, well, one thing that was amazing too to see even in those early days when we were attending at Berea was to see, like, as you said, you know, the church being um, mobilized together, right, to pray and to fast and to to see how God would lead our church, mm-hmm. right, in, the, in this decision. And so, like, at the members' meetings that we would have, like, to see the conversations we have and, like, I mean, there was there was definitely, like, concerns that were, were brought up, but there was just a lot of, at the end of the day, there was a lot of trust that, you know, this is where God would have us and, 
then this would work. And then this, you know, to continue on, God is, God is going to be the one that sustains us through this. Like it's not going to be by our own hands and something we would boast about of ourselves. It would truly be God sustaining us through this transition. Yeah. That was a fun season. Yeah. Um, It was, it was a busy season, (laughs) busy busy season, a lot of time in prayer. uh, But obviously we're thankful for what the Lord's done here. So Gary, as you think about the future, now that we've thought about the past a little bit, um, as you think about the future, um, you've been an elder for how long now? So I came on, it was actually during the pandemic. Yeah. So September 2020. Okay. okay. So I guess it's about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, as you think about the future and your role as an elder, um, what are the, some of the things that you're looking forward to for the church body? Or what are some things that you'd like to see the church grow in or develop in? Yeah. Well, so right now, you know, in, in our um, the sermon series that, that Bert's been doing, so we're, we're basically going through our church mission statement. Mm-hmm. So to, to glorify God and make disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so right now he's in that process of uh, what does it look like to make disciples? Yep. And, that, and so we've been going through the Beatitudes. And so I think one thing that I look forward to seeing is, is again, the church um, being filled with individuals that desire to be disciplers. Well, obviously, like, if you're committed to being a Christian, you you want to be a disciple of Christ, but also to be disciple makers. Yeah. And what does that look like? It looks like, you know, individuals pouring into one another, you know, someone identifying a person that they can mentor and to, sh- and to sh- you know, shepherd and, and to help them. Uh, and their faith, mm-hmm. the the focus I had on my MDiv when I was at Southeastern was in biblical counseling, yep. and I want to. I think one thing that I do want to see is is individuals learning and and coming alongside individuals that are struggling, uh, whether it's through a sin or if it's just the struggles of life. And so I'm encouraged by the direction our church is going now. Again, through the the series we're doing, but also I think we've seen that we've seen a number. There's a number of elders that have gone through a counseling type course program. Yep. We're currently doing something like that. And we have individuals in the congregation that have been equipped yeah. in counseling and those, and there are some that are seeking that um, education. And so I think like, and whenever we would be equipped in that way, but also again, just to see more and more people step up to be um, willing to be disciple makers, I yeah. think is, is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's great, man. I'm looking forward to that too. So at this point, we're going to ask you a few questions just about things that you like to do just normal day-to-day life and uh, get some of your favorites as well, okay? What do you like to do to relax when you like get home at the end of the day beyond husband and dad duty, you know, yeah, yeah. or like if it's a weekend? One thing I do like to do is um, so I like to play board games. Yeah. So anytime I can get... you got um, quite a collection of board games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I have... Um, a few games and, and not like the Monopoly or Scrabble or anything like that. Uh, probably more in-depth board games. And what I mean in-depth, it's like 30 plus page rule books. A lot of rules involved and there's a lot going on. 
but I love getting together with friends and just, you know, having nights where, you What's know, your favorite board game right now? Uh, Star Wars Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And what uh, kind of, what kind of board game is that? So it's a strategy game and it's like a mix between like kind of area control, uh, card driven. So you have the, and the game is like set during the original trilogy okay. films. Yeah. So you have the empire, the galactic empire and the rebellion. Yep. So you have one player that's, that's going to play as the rebellion, one player that's playing as the empire and the goals are different for each player. So for the empire, you're trying to find the rebel base and destroy it. Okay. The rebels are basically just trying to hold out okay. until, but you can have more than two players. You can. Is it, okay. So it's typically a two player game. So it's, it's listed as a four player game, Okay, but it's, you would have two players. Yeah. You would have two players on the same yeah. side and all it is, is like, they would just share like responsibility. Yeah. I'd, I'd say just play with two, <laughs> two players. So Gary, what do you like to do to spend time with the kids? Yeah, a lot of a lot of what we do, especially when I get home in the afternoon, is we just go outside and you know, like get just stung by bees. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was half yeah. joking. Do y'all get stung a lot? Uh, there's been times of like if I'm cleaning up around the yard, I have. Oh man. Um, yeah, but lately, no, no. But the bees are pretty pretty tame. They only they're only going to bother you if you're bothering them. Yeah. So. But yeah, um, love getting outside to play with the kids. Um, Carter loves to just like run around and get chased. Yeah. Um, we got a we got him a little. Uh, well, we got all of them a a playset over Christmas, so it's a, a swing set with the slide and um, like seesaw and all that. So he loves doing that. But anytime we get into a mode where like I'm running after him, trying to catch him, he just that's what he loves. Hmm. I don't know. He likes to get chased. He just likes to get chased. That's fun. <laughs> So, uh, Haddon, um, sometimes she just likes to be left alone, <laughs> but she's, you know, she loves to do stuff too. Like she'll, she'll want to sit next to you and read a book or something, Yeah, you know, and draw things like that. Yeah. And Carter does too. Carter loves to draw. He loves the color. Um, and then Merritt, who's our, our youngest seven months old, he, um, well, he just loves being held and loves it when you make him giggle. So I was gonna say, he just seems to love everything. Yeah. He's, I think he's just a really happy kid. Yeah. He is. They're all, and they're all very like happy kids. Haddon is the one though that's, if you get her to laugh, you feel like you've accomplished something. <laughs> like, it's like you got to work for her laughter. Yeah. Yeah. So. She's going to hold back on that. <laughs> so what are, so, what's something that you like to do with Rachel, whether it's a, a date or a vacation mm-hmm. or a tradition? Yeah. Tell us a little bit of something about what y'all like to do together. Yeah. One of, uh, I mean, obviously going out to eat dinner, um, like local places here in Augusta is just always a good time just kind of go out and just, you know, be able to talk, have conversations, you know, just to spend time one-on-one. Cause I feel like a lot of times when we get home, like we're trying to like have a conversation, but then there's like the kids always asking the question and, yep. um, you know, so you, you can't like really focus. And then after the kids are in bed, I mean, you're both just so exhausted. It's yeah. So it's good to just like have time to ourselves yeah. and, and just catch up and just kind of talk about how yeah. things are going and, any venue that allows you to be out of the house and have a conversation. Uh, yeah. And, but also too, anytime we can go like hike a trail or something, yeah. we like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We like doing like outdoor stuff like that. I'll mention too, an idea that you and I did not come up with, but our very intelligent wives came yes. up with, and that is kid swapping. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's out there, you've got kids, you've got a set of, parents who are your friends of yours that have kids about the same age, what 
they basically lined up was we'll watch your kids one night a month and you'll watch our kids one night a month. And then at least once a month, there's a date night happening. And man, that's been a blessing for sure. I don't, I hope it's been a blessing for you all as well. Yeah. It's been really good just to have that, that system in place. But that's an idea for young struggling parents out there. Maybe slip that idea to somebody that you (laughs) know and love and trust that you could say, Hey, maybe I could watch your kids once sometime. And then, you know, if you want to watch our kids, that's great too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, tell me what's your favorite meal since we're talking about going out to eat. What's yeah? Uh, I love I love steak. How do you like your steak done? Usually medium, medium. Yeah, or medium rare. Yeah. Any particular cut? Uh, yeah. I usually go for like a New York strip. Okay. Um, ribeye. Yeah. Uh, favorite steak sides? Fries. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a pretty simple. Do you have like a particular kind of fry that you like? Yeah. uh, Because my first thought is steak and then fries. I think steak fries, but that's not everybody's. Yeah. I would have to say, you know, the fries that are like from farmhouse. Yeah. Something along that, those lines. Like a shoestring. Yeah. Fry. Something super salty and crispy. Yep. Yeah. That's me. All right. Favorite dessert? Cheesecake. Any particular kind? Just a plain. Regular old cheesecake? Regular old cheesecake. Favorite place to visit or vacation? Anytime we can go to like, you know, the mountains. Okay. So you're more mountains than beach person? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Is Rachel the same way? I think, yeah. I think our kids love the beach more right now, but. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I understand uh, that for sure. Yeah. Something about just, because I feel like up in the mountains, there's more seclusion. Yeah. There's more like peace. Quiet. (laughs) Quietness. Mm -hmm. So I'm an introvert by trade, so. By trade, I'm to get into that trade. <laughs> All right, man. So what's, I know this might be a hard question, mm-hmm. not because of lack of options, because I think you like movies a good bit. What's your favorite movie or movie series or TV series? Yeah. yeah you said I have very specific movie quotes that I yes. use. <laughs> and I do quote a lot of movies. So I have, I mean, I have like a favorite movie. But I I do have like a favorite, like... So give us both. Give us a favorite single movie. Sure. And then give us a favorite series. So favorite movie would be Master and Commander. It was a film released in 2003, I think. And um, stars Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany. And it's set during the Napoleonic Wars. And it's based on a, a series of books. And the film is about Russell Crowe, who's the captain of this British warship, and his friend, Paul Bettany, who's a who's a doctor on the ship okay. and it's kind of like their relationship. And, uh, you know, you have Russell Crowe's character that's bound by like duty and honor. And then you have Paul Bettany's character. That's he's more involved in like philosophies of the world and okay. science and things like that. Okay. And so their ideologies often clash mm. in the film, but somehow they, they remain friends <laughs> and, and both of them play like one of them plays the violin and one of them plays the cello. And so there's a lot of like just great classical music throughout the film. So it's like a film I like to watch to give me a little bit of action, but it's a film I can watch and like relax too. Yeah. It's <laughs> sounds like it's heady as well as. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, um, it was nominated for best picture, but it got beat out by a more well-known film called the Lord of the Rings return oh, of the King. I think I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it must've been a tough year to put a film yeah. out. Yeah. No kidding. The other, so like, I do have a, like a, what I would say is like probably the, my favorite thing that I've ever watched in terms of like film and TV 
series, and that's the Band of Brother Band of Brothers series. Yeah. So the Band of Brothers series is about a um, a company of paratroopers in World War II, and each actor is playing a real person. So it's not like it's a story made up. It's like they're all playing real individuals, and um, and it just does a good job of like the actors playing them well and telling the story. And the way the show is done, you know, you have the beginning of the episode is an interview with the actual veterans mm. and they tell like kind of like their experience and then it fades into the dramatization, right? Yeah. So you kind of, you get a glimpse of like what they experienced. And the reason why I think it's such a great, you know, work of entertainment is, um, or, or film entertainment is, is because eventually there's going to be no World War II veterans. Like yeah. they're all going to pass. And this is going to be something we have yeah. to, to remember them and to learn more about their story. So. Yeah. That's cool. Favorite team? The Atlanta Braves. Yeah. As and you can see by my shirt. Yes. I can see that, but everybody else at home yeah. can't see that. Uh, favorite book other than scripture? Favorite book is always hard because there's you a lot name, of books. You that, can name a handful. Yeah, there's a lot of books that I think like I really enjoyed reading. And, and like the Chronicles of Narnia series, you know, they're, when I read those, like it was just does a really good, like C.S. Lewis does a good job of like, you, you, you see like scripture in his writing, mm-hmm. especially with the, the first book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like you see the depiction of the cross and the sacrifice and the mm-hmm. resurrection. Um, but other books, uh, like some of, the, some of the more recent ones I think I've read uh, probably, probably have been um, impactful in my life and a lot of them I read like when I was going through seminary, but uh, one of them was um, Paul Tripp's Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, yep. which is a, like yep. if you're wanting to get a foundation on like how to do counseling and, and like help and and help like see things through the lens of scripture, like I think that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And it was a very helpful book. I mean, David Pallison has one, um, Seeing with New Eyes is also just great. But one of my like hip pocket books, which is one we're actually reading uh, together as elders is being there by mm-hmm. Dave Furman. And he just does a phenomenal job of like, he goes through and, and goes through his, like his own struggle. It's kind of his own testimony. But what's interesting about that book is, is like, he doesn't put the emphasis really on himself. Like he talks about, again, his struggle, but he's directing everything back towards Christ. Mm. And, and it's just a helpful book for those that are maybe struggling with something. Um, but also helpful for those that are like, like, Give me some kind of direction on how I can come alongside somebody that's struggling. Like his book, I think, does a really good job mm-hmm. of that. That's great, man. Do you have a favorite Berea or Crawford Avenue memory? Probably the 2015 Madagascar trip. Yeah. So we, so you're on that. And yep. we, yeah, we went there in summer of 2015, I think. It was May. It's May, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spent a couple of weeks over there with the Snyders. Mm-hmm. And we were in, the southern part of the country, sharing the gospel. And then we went to the bush out in the center part of the, the region there to meet with the Anton Drouy people and share the gospel with them. And, mm-hmm. and so it was um, it was a really encouraging and, and a really good time, I think, that blessed us as a church. Yeah. Because, I mean, prior to, to that trip, like, again, the church was mobilizing to support the mission trip and to come alongside and partner with the Snyders, you know, as they were working over in there. And then when we were there, I mean, just to see the way God was working through just um, the different things that we were doing over there through either um, the logistical things that we had going on, which was a lot, 
yeah. um, and how he <laughs> provided for us. But then also when it came time to actually present the gospel, yeah. like just how he just allowed that time and that um, opportunity to share with them. Yeah. So that's great, man. All right. Well, one final question. How can we pray for you? Pray for us as parents, for our children, you know, specifically that we could shepherd them well, you know, point them to scripture, have patience and, you know, just good wisdom on how to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our oldest Carter, he has a lot of food allergies Mm -hmm. and that's been, that's been um, a struggle for the last few years. So he, we found that out, I think it was about nine months, which we had a suspicion that he had food allergies because he had a lot of eczema when he was a baby. And okay. and then when he when we did a peanut induction again around that nine month mark, he had a he had a reaction. Like his he had hives break out all over his body, his face swelled up. So we had to rush him to the hospital and and we knew then like everything was gonna be different from that point. Yeah. So we've been learning a lot about how to properly read um, food ingredients. So you'd be surprised at like what the detail you have to go into to make sure that the food that you're buying is safe for your child to eat. And then also just makes events, you know, parties and things like that, just a, yeah. a struggle and just ups the anxiety yeah. a lot. One thing that has been a comfort, I think, is just there's a lot of foods that Carter can have, you know. And so for me, I try to focus on that. So just being reminded of, you know, this impossible, what seems to be like an impossible task of like how to best care for him when God created the world, like he created it so that it would produce enough foods that he can enjoy. Mm. So be reminded of that. And it's also just, I think, a depiction of the gospel. Like we have this impossible sin to overcome, but yet God sent Christ to defeat sin on our behalf. Yeah. So y'all are focusing on what the Lord has provided. Yeah rather than what you're not able to do. Yeah. I mean, it still, it still um, bears its weight on us, though. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. So there's that. And, and of course, little Merritt, um, he's seven months. Uh, he was born very small. He was born at four and a half pounds uh, because for whatever reason, he wasn't growing as, as much as he needed to when he, was, when he was in the womb. So we had to actually deliver early uh, to make sure we could care for him well. Again, all the appointments we go to and, we get him checked out. I mean, it's always just kind of the same. Like he's he's underweight, he's under the growth chart, you know, and so we're continuing to feed him and um trying to get his weight up. Really no again explanation to why he's why he was small. But I mean, as as you see him like, you know, on Sunday mornings or whenever we get together, like I mean, he's such a happy baby. Yep. Like you wouldn't know, like again, we don't know if there is anything wrong, but I mean, like he certainly doesn't show it. Yeah. You know, he's just joyful and <laughs> I think that's again just the Lord providing. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sure that's a grace comfort. and comfort in our lives. Yeah. So, just, but just praying that um, we have wisdom on you know to take care of him and do whatever uh, would be right for him. I think that's primarily it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary, thanks for being here today. It was good to get to know you and to talk about your life and what the Lord's been doing in it. Church, let's be faithful to pray for Gary and Rachel and their family. Uh, Gary, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Won't You Be My Elder with Gary Atwell. I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. If it has, reach out to Gary. Tell him that you appreciated the podcast. If any of Gary's story connected with you and with your life and testimony, connect with Gary in person and let him know. 
If you are struggling with an ongoing sin and you are in isolation and you haven't told anybody about it, reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and tackle that sin together. Just like we talked about on the podcast, the church was made to support each other and to bear each other's burdens. If you would like to hear other episodes of this podcast that have already been produced and recorded, you can go to our website, crawfordavenue.org, then select who we are, then leadership and staff. As you scroll down and see pictures of each elder, you'll see a little description box. And if there is an episode featuring that elder, you'll find it there. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.